If I waste my time and my money and my focus, all of which are limited resources, chasing after things that I don't know are actually what I want, and if I haven't done the accurate thinking about what my aims are and my conditions of life, I wouldn't be able to do those things because I'd be wasting my time chasing something around. Helping people build ambitious and satisfying careers, businesses, and lives. This is the Influence Ecology Podcast. Now, here is your host, John Patterson. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm your host, John Patterson, the co-founder and CEO of Influence Ecology, the leading business education in transactional competence. Broadcasting from Ventura, California, this podcast features case studies, stories, and lessons from business owners, executives, and entrepreneurs who found real solutions, real results, and real satisfaction, not only with work, career, and money, but in every area of life. You'll hear how these ambitious professionals found that those who transact powerfully thrive. This episode is one in a series we call, Where Are They Now? In this series, we revisit guests we interviewed a few years earlier to find out what's happened since we last talked. Most of the interviews are with those who have completed our curriculum and have been practicing what we teach for some time. Here are some highlights from when we first spoke. I've given up that naive notion that I'm the one who's supposed to do all of those things and instead is just make myself very valuable to those around me by doing the things I do great and doing a lot more of that and doing that almost exclusively. We define value as it's useful, it's got utility, right? And then the scarcity of that utility. Is everybody able to provide that same usefulness? If so, then it's going to be difficult to really be perceived as highly valuable if everybody can provide it or a lot of people can provide it. One of the best ways to increase value is just go, what are you counting me for that you really want? And if you really know the person and you really can take it, go, what's the other stuff you got to put up with to be able to get that? Because the more I can remove the stuff that they're just kind of putting up with, which we also call high cost behaviors, yep. the more I can remove those things and those antics and behaviors and whatever you want to call them or reduce them. And the more I can focus on doing the things that they really want to count on me for, I've already increased my value there. And those can be really small steps that can make a big impact. Now you'll hear how they continue to transact powerfully and thrive. Trisha Tyler began studying with Influence Ecology in 2012. She was single, struggling to transform a team's performance and had a fair amount of consumer debt. During her early participation, Trisha became a disciple of accurate thinking as it made her a better leader and decision maker, good mentor and coach. As a graduate of our curriculum, she is now married, has had several promotions and raises, and now lives a life of surplus, a surplus of income, freedom, and adventure. Her experience and her journey are a case study in the kind of accurate thinking and planning that allows for living an inspiring life. Here's the interview. My name is Trisha Tyler, and I am a partner with Mercer. And my specific role is I co-lead our West Market health business. So we do health consulting with employers to help them purchase health care for their employees and their families. And so I lead basically a third of the country, if you will, along with my colleague, Haley Tebbin. 
Fantastic. And the third of the country that you lead is which part of the country? It's the West. It's from in our the way we look at it is everything from Denver West. Very good. All right. Very, very good. First of all, there's a few things I want to say to welcome you to the podcast. One, I always have had a place protected in my heart for Trisha Tyler for very many reasons. One is you're the third person I ever interviewed for the Influence Ecology podcast. And that's that's always your picture has adorned our podcast marketing everywhere it goes. And it's such a great image of uh, cheerful and knowledgeable. And anyway, it just, I was always loved the picture. So it's always been great for that. And then you have many roles with influence ecology. First of all, you're an esteemed alumni, meaning that you're someone who's completed our entire curriculum. You have participated since 2012. So seven years, so you can believe that can hardly believe that time has flown. And then finally, you also serve on the board of the Institute for Transactional Philosophy, which is now something new that is around these parts. We might say a little bit about that, but welcome to you. Thanks for being here. And I always can't wait for people to hear what you've got to say. Thank you so much, John. So there's a few things that I think are very useful for us to talk about. One is we interviewed you some time ago in that interview. And in fact, I've told many people about that interview for a variety of reasons. One is that interview is for a particular kind of customer of Influence Ecologies. As our listeners may or may not know, there are people that participate here, some of which are entrepreneurs some of which are small business owners. Some of people are executives uh, within larger organizations. And whether or not you are starting something new or you're immersed in a larger enterprise, ultimately what we're working with people to do is to increase their value within the marketplace or within the enterprises that they work. And yours is the podcast I often refer people to when I say, look, there's an opportunity for you to increase your value in an enterprise. Go listen to Trisha. She'll tell you how. <laughs> it's very true. <laughs> so uh, as our poster child for that, anything else you want to say to our listeners about that particular aspect of your journey? We'll let people know where you are now, but anything you want to say about the earlier parts of your journey and increasing your value? Yeah, sure thing. Probably one of the most important things that I, I got a lot of things out of my Fundamentals of Transaction course, but something that really stood out for me was being high cost, being low cost, and how to look at any environment in which you participate and thinking about how can you be as valuable as possible in that environment because that makes it easier to get things done to meet your conditions of life or meet your aims. And that just became really clear to me, not always clear what exactly needed to be done, but that there was an inquiry to take and to take stock of my own behaviors and the way I transacted mm -hmm. with people, the way I made requests or didn't make requests and how that could be high cost. So just because I had good intentions with people did not mean I was a good transactionalist. I continue to learn more and more about that. And obviously, as I grow in my career or I grow in new communities or wherever that may be, it's looking at what is needed in that environment or what is it that I can provide that is an offer of help or support that would be meaningful and valuable for people. And then how can we 
exchange on that value. It's not necessarily tit for tat. It's not like that. It's just, it's important to meeting my aims that others know that I'm valuable to them and that I work to make sure I'm valuable and that that value over time changes as anything does in a marketplace. What was valuable in one environment last week may not be the same thing as in that same environment next week or in another one at the same time. So it's just, it's being aware of that and thinking about what is needed here or what can I provide here. So I just, it's helped me define more of my career just helps me in a lot of aspects of life. I think there's a way for us to make this clear too, because you may know that we're doing some work in enterprises now. And one of the things that's often being addressed is the value and cost of any individual in a transaction. And to make it very simple, sometimes we're a cost and sometimes we're a value. But just because Mm -hmm. we're valuable doesn't mean we're always valuable. Sometimes our value is also a cost. So there's a training for people to do so that they can understand that they are, in fact, a cost here or the cost there. And if they want to increase their value, they better rein in their cost. (laughs) Any comments? No, it's 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 really true. And there, I mean, I don't think there's any absolutes to your point. Like I'm not absolutely always valuable. <laughs> and this notion of being high cost in something in transactionalism or just inside of influence ecology, it's just sometimes I can be the nicest person in the world and still high cost to get something done with. So it just depends on the personality I'm working with and what we're trying to do. And it's Sometimes I can be high cost to somebody because I'm not relational enough with them, right? So it just depends on that high cost. It's in the eye of the beholder, for sure. It really is thinking about how does that individual transact? What is going to meet their needs as well? And it's not only about that, but it's having the awareness to take that into consideration as to how am I going to engage? How am I going to talk with, speak with this person? What kinds of requests might I make of them? What kinds of offers might I make to them? And then the low cost piece is just taking out the noise that might be in the transaction, making more work than there needs to be for any given person in the process. So I think about both of those things and value is definitely a reflection of what was the cost as a part of the transaction. So I can have something incredibly valuable, but if I'm really high cost in the process, someone is still going to weigh that. They're still going to say, yeah, she can produce great results, but man, what was the, what was the cost to get to that point? Am I willing to bear that? So they're both important. From time to time, I'm working with people and I'm doing the best I can to, to bring to light the cost they are in a transaction. Perhaps they are unaware of that their series of questions is a cost. Not always, of course. Like you said, you have to know the situation. You have to know when it's appropriate, when it's inappropriate, when it's costly, when it's a value. If you are going to give your two cents to anybody listening, maybe this is their first podcast ever, and they're wondering, how might I lower my cost in my enterprise? Certainly, there's the other side. How can I raise my value? And your previous podcast addressed that. And we'll put a link in so people can hear that. But if you were going to give your own two cents about how might a person in an enterprise lower their cost, what might you say? I would say rather than thinking I need to know this from every person 
that I'm interacting with, you want to take just even a sample size of three, three probably most important people that you know that you definitely want to be low cost, and very valuable to. And they could be, I mean, I had an executive coach tell me years ago, your boss needs to be one of them. <laughs> Right. So you definitely somebody what? who you is need making to be low cost you, to your boss. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of important. And then there are influencers around you, right? It's not necessarily just those at the top of the hierarchy. And in organizations, anybody who works in large global organizations like the one I work in and work with clients who are large global organizations and whatnot, it may not necessarily always be hierarchical. But you know who the influencers are and definitely the people who are most impactful for meeting your needs. And from there, you want to start to look and see, first of all, you might want to inquire about what is their transactional personality type to kind of get a sense of how do they want to be transacted with. So that's an important, it's just a stylistic consideration. And then thinking about what's important to them, like what are they trying to achieve and thinking about how I'm a help to that or how I want to be a help with that. And then there's just basic, John, inquiring. How could I make it easier on you? It's just a question in any mm. given way. Like, I'm, I want to help. I know that you've got a big job or I know you've got a lot of accountabilities and I'm here to help. Here are some things I could offer. I just want to know, is that going to be valuable to you? Not just the open-ended question, like, how can I help? And because that now is high cost as well, because the individual, it's incumbent upon them to answer that question. And they may not be thinking about your help. Getting to know the ways in which you are hard to do things with and not taking that personally, but taking it as well within your purview to do something about, I think is a really good way to be willing to change the way you do things to be easier for people to get things done with. Take us on a little, a short little journey of your career, your money, your relationship journey. You know, there's a lot of things that have happened in seven years. When you first started with Influence Ecology, there were your aims back then. I know that you were committed to increasing your income and looking to, you know, some of your long-term aims and goals. But just take us from where you started seven years ago to where you are now. So people get a sense of what you've accomplished over that time. Seven years ago, I just relocated to California from the East Coast. I'd taken a role within the company I worked for at that time, and it was leading a small team of people. And I had not done the accurate thinking about the difference in moving from where I did on the East Coast to being in California. There was quite a cost difference. And I think I'd done a little bit of calculating, but not the appropriate amount of thinking about it. I had my fair share of consumer debt at that point, and I, I did want to earn more money. And because I legitimately, to be able to have it all work, and I wasn't succeeding in the role that I was in. It felt like a struggle to really get the transformation done in that team that needed to be done. And and I was also single. I just started dating, who is now my husband, Jeff Miller. And so we had just started dating at a distance at that point. And so just to kind of fast forward to where we are now. So Jeff and I are married. We celebrate our fourth anniversary here in just a, a matter of days. So this week. Congratulations. And we, thank you. And we live in Seattle now. And I joined Mercer back in 2013. So you can see, started studying in 2012, really started to assess my 
assess what was going on, assess whether my aims are being met, those types of things through my fundamentals of transaction. And one of the things the founders and instructors always tell us is don't make immediate changes. So I did. I waited about a year to make those changes, but had a much better sense of what I was looking for in an employer, in an environment, in a set, in a team, and, and even in just the role in general, and made the move to Mercer in 2013. So I've worked through a number of positions with them at this point, but it's been applying a lot of the, what we've studied in influence ecology that's really helped me. So now your starting position for somebody to equate it to where you started and where you are now, say what that is. Um, at my previous employer, I was leading a small team. Mm -hmm. I mean, literally a team of, of about eight people. Mm -hmm. And today we have a team of over 200. Well, I can't share the exact financials of what, what, what I lead. It's many, 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 many times what it was beforehand in terms of the accountability I hold of the, of the kind of revenue that I lead a business of the revenue of the size that it is. Mm -hmm. So so I have just a lot more accountability of a lot more people who roll up to me. And it's just a different a different brand of the firm that I work for. It's a very well known, I would call it creme de la creme brand. We're known for the kind of excellence that we have. So I'm just I'm in a very different environment than I was previously and amongst a lot of incredible people that I love getting to work with. So just the overall the whole picture has been very different and just a complete upgrade for me. One of the, the notes that you made is that during your fundamentals and during your journey, you became a, a disciple of accurate thinking. I think that's the word you use. I love that. And so that accurate thinking around your money, around your health, around what you do in your spare time, leading a balanced life, being in a relationship, the value that you bring to an enterprise, your contribution to the world's oceans, and so forth. You've come a long way and done some pretty amazing things over the course of these years. Anything you want to let us know about what kind of accurate thinking has brought you and uh, what we can learn from that? I can tell now that what I really want in the world is to help any person, any business, any advocate, any nonprofit, anything just to think accurately about how to have what they want in the world to come to fruition. And that's never done as an individual agent. That's never done as an individual. It's always done in an ecology of some sort. And let's start with finances. I mean, I, the first thing I had to do was go, oh, here's how much trouble I'm in, right? Like you start to look at, <laughs> right. you have to start to look at not just, you know, oh, what's my retirement calculator, but really where do I want to be? What does that look like? What does a budget into the future when I retire look like? What does it look like today? What can I reliably plan on? What does the market perform at over time? And then really being able to say, what do I need to do now to have that? And I'm a performer. I identify with performer as a transactional personality type. And so what is my dominant need for happiness? Well, that is freedom. Yep. And so dealing in financial matters and constraining myself probably was not my top priority for quite some time in my life. Didn't mean that I just spent all my money, but it just meant I was also going to satisfy my need for freedom a lot. 
the way to accurate thinking in this performer's heart is going, I've planned the future with good accurate thinking and the resources that I need from other people who may think more accurately on a topic, just have the depth of knowledge and their specialized knowledge to apply to something to help me think accurately about it. So then I have the freedom in the moment to do what I need to do within the a certain threshold and still meet that future need, those future aims and whatnot. And so there's been, and I will say doing that with my spouse who identifies as a judge and as a transactional personality type, his dominant need for happiness is security. And so those can be right back early in our relationship. I was like, that was one of my love this man. He's the most amazing person who exactly who I wanted to be with and who I still want to be with. And I could identify very quickly on this is going to be a real issue for us. And if we don't really learn how to transact with one another on this. And so we've gone through this really great journey to identify what that future looks like. And it's created a lot of peace and a lot of freedom and security for both of us in the process. So that to me is probably... That's worth every moment I've spent studying, every dollar I've spent on tuition, and then some to be able to get to that place. And we are in a great spot. I mean, we look at retirement or financial freedom, not having to work probably is within about eight to nine years. And that's great. I'm 43. So that's a good spot to be in and know that I'm not hamstrung. I don't have to, genetic thing for a performer, I don't have to do this thing at this rate. I can choose to do what I'm doing and make the next choice not just necessarily tied to what I must make, but is it the right opportunity for me? Is it going to make me happy? Is it going to use my skills and all that kind of stuff? So I have more considerations than just financial ones at this point, given the work we've done on that. Sounds harmonious. You didn't say that word, but it sounds like your relationship with death is rather harmonious. Definitely different needs for happiness. Yours is freedom, his is security. And you've navigated those waters very successfully and found a, a harmonious place to come from. I just think it's always an amazing thing that in the study of transactional competence and transactional behavior and personality, both that relationships tend to couple up in that way. And that there's something wonderful that happens when both people are participating here and understand how to read the other and what matters to the other, but not like you should be more like me, but instead, no, I need to be able to talk your language. Any comments about all that? I'm a huge fan of judges, uh, probably out of just the, the love affair I have with my husband in general, just appreciating how he thinks the value I receive from his thinking because judges are well known for their standards. They have very excellent standards it is harmonious and it really is about being able to appreciate one another and know that I'm not just solving in, in any marriage. Of course, you're not just solving for one side of the equation, but you always, but being able to look and go, what's going to actually have this work for both of us? Like if I'm the only one getting what I want, then this is not a sustainable pathway for us. It's about both of us. And because we have a better understanding of one another's needs for happiness and whatnot, we can work together on solving for that, for inventing the transaction that's actually going to work for that, to encourage one another. And I think that's the other thing is the encouragement that comes for one another is just, it's really great. Like for instance, we had this moment last week, John, 
And, you know, I've been running a lot. So I've been running a number of races. I'm training for a marathon. And this is one of the things that I took up when I came to Seattle. I wanted to explore the city through running and it's become something that I do more of. And I had an invitation to do this race called the Ragnar race in the Northwest. And it's a 200 mile relay race you do with 12 people on a team, six people in each van, and you run for 30, you know, so 36 hours of one person running after another. This is how some people define fun, by the way, which is I'm one of them. <laughs> and so, and I ran 18.3 miles in all of this. And, but it was a consideration last week because I have a big schedule, as you can imagine, and a full life and things going on in my family and we're going on a vacation soon and all kinds of things. My mom said, absolutely not. Your schedule's too crazy. There's no way. <laughs> I said, thank you. And I came home and I, I told my husband about it because it was an opportunity to just jump into it because somebody had dropped out. And he said, huh, let's see. He goes, this is on your bucket list, isn't it? And I said, yes. And I live a pretty adventurous life. And I think you alluded to this just a little bit. And I'll talk a little bit more about that. But adventure is a really important thing. I think we think that sits as a condition of life aesthetic, but it's really important. And I said, yeah, it's on my bucket list. He goes, hmm. And you could figure it out on your schedule. I said, yes, I can. He goes, you're trained for it, so you can do the race. I said, yes. So you can see the process of us going through the accurate thinking together. Yeah. And he goes, hmm. He goes, I think you should do it. I know it's crazy, but you've done crazier things, and you can totally do this. And so then he worked through the process with me of getting me ready. And that was a 20, like within 24 hours, like it was done, and we were, I was planning to get on the van and all that kind of stuff. So that's the kind of thing that happens when you understand one another's, not just personalities like a textbook, but you understand what makes people happy and you can help work through that with one another. It's just very supportive and encouraging. If you'd like to know more about Influence Ecology and our approach, you can register for free 30-day guest access. During this time, you can test drive our interactive webinars, online learning system, and private mentorship. Program participation is by application only, and successful participants earn candidacy into our advanced program tiers. Our members are an international assembly of ambitious professionals, business leaders, and executives from a variety of countries, industries, and cultures. To find out more, you can find a link in the show notes for this podcast at influenceecology.com forward slash podcast. That's influenceecology.com forward slash podcast. Or in the U.S. or Canada, you can text the word ambition to 805-262-9008 and we'll send the registration link right to your mobile phone. Again, text the word ambition to 805-262-9008. Also in our show notes, you'll find all the links to websites, books, or special downloads mentioned in this podcast. You made a note, and it's a fantastic bit of language. You said something akin to when you're wasting resources, building surplus mm. is hard. And in fact, it rung like a great title of a podcast because here you are, you've been studying with us for seven years. We train people in how to think accurately about building transactions to satisfy their aims. And you have to start with your resources. And when you look at your resources early on in our programs, people often look and see they may have limited resources due to debt, or they may not have built a surplus health body health, right? They may not have built a surplus of the kind of identity that can move mountains. And you seem to have built quite a bit of surplus over the course of years. 
it allows you to adventure. It allows you to do some things I know you're doing now. I'm interested if you've accomplished some amazing things. So anything that you want to say about the surplus you've built and what it's allowed you both to enjoy? Sure. Yeah. First of all, I, I think we should live full, interesting lives. I believe that. And I tell every one of the people, colleagues, I get the opportunity to both lead and work with, you should lead full and interesting lives, whatever that looks like for you. And I think really what that translates into the work that we study, it's the conditions of life that we study and thinking through those and go, what, what would it look like to have that be satisfactory. You can aim for the moon and the stars and that's valuable too. And you should go, how do I get that to just where it'll do? Like I'm satisfied with it. And I know that I've actually achieved something that makes me feel good about it. And what I would say is an example of this is working in the United States, a lot of times thinking at executive level leadership and there's this notion that, wow, I took a week long vacation. That's the most you can get away with, right? You shouldn't do any more than that. And I just don't subscribe to this. I'm responsible about how I take my vacations and I'm responsible to make sure that people know how to get things done in my absence. But I think there's also this thing in that we call the current, right? What people think is, well, if you're gone for any longer than that, they're going to think they can do it without you. And I just don't subscribe to this. I believe that if I've actually been doing my job and bringing people along and developing them, and if I do the accurate thinking and the planning, this will operate without me. And that's appropriate. And it should. If the system fails because I leave or any one person leaves, then I haven't designed the right system to take care of what's needed, both my aims, the aims of the organization, the individuals in the organization, all of it. And so I feel a lot of freedom to go on a 19-day scuba diving adventure in the next two weeks, just right after conference, the end of July. Jeff and I will go for 19 days, we'll be in the Solomon Islands. We'll spend 10 days on a boat that's going to do nothing but scuba dive in one of the most beautiful coral reefs in the world. And we'll be unplugged that whole time, meaning there's only one satellite phone on the boat. I'm not going to use it for anything unless there's an emergency and only for people who need to contact me for emergencies will be there. And I will have the freedom to know that I can be free to be unplugged and to see fish and to see sharks and to see all the things that I love that makes me kind of fills up my reservoirs. It gives me the mental health boost that I love, the sense of health that I lead and just the adventure and all of those pieces that are really important to me being a whole human being. I get that. And people think oftentimes in my environment, they think I'm crazy, but I notice how much it inspires many of our young people. It inspires people of all ages because it's possible. It's possible to do it and have a career still that grows. And it's also like I'm getting my pilot's license. So I'm close. I'm not quite there. I'm almost there. So I would just be getting my private pilot's license. And I've been studying this about a year and a half now. And so I've soloed. I've done my cross-country solos. I've done my exams, all that kind of stuff. And people think that's crazy. When do you have the time to do that? Well, that's oftentimes my weekend. But it's worth it. It's so much fun to be able to get in a plane and be able to fly it and go to some place I probably wouldn't have gone otherwise. Mm -hmm. So I just think when you plan, you can have these types of things really work for you. Now, the key there, and you'd mentioned earlier, if I waste my time and my money and my focus, all of which are limited resources, chasing after things that I don't know are actually what I want, 
And if I haven't done the accurate thinking about what my aims are and my conditions of life, I wouldn't be able to do those things because I'd be wasting my time chasing something around, either something that somebody I admired had or somebody told me that this is what a successful person looks like or whatever, whatever that thing is. And we all are susceptible to those influences. We have incredible marketers in this world who will sell us all sorts of things. And it's not just, I mean, they'll sell us all sorts of things. And so if I'm not rooted in what is it that I say I want and really working towards that and planning for that, then I am fresh bait, so to speak, for anybody from the resources of my focus, my time, my money and everything else. So I think that's also part of what makes these things possible is being able to be focused on the things I want. And that's in my work that I do every day for Mercer. It's in my life in these other areas. So that's what I would say about getting focused mm -hmm. on those things. You've been on a seven year journey to address the kind of accurate thinking that's required to look at your resources and to look at the resources you have at, at your disposal to build your resources, to build a surplus of time and money and things like that. Let's think for just a minute about a listener who may be at the beginning of their journey. I have things I might say to, for them to start, but I'd like to know your version. Like if I was going to start off and start to take care of the resources that I need to live like you're describing, which does sound inspiring, right? So where might I start, you think? Well, I think where we start in fundamentals of transaction is a perfect spot. It is looking at my money. It's looking at the work that I do. So how I spend my time, what I do with my mind and my body, it looks at our health and it looks at our career and career being how I'm known. What am I known for? Right. And those four areas, there's plenty of other areas to delve into. I do subscribe to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You must have these other, these basic ones I just outlined that we study quite a bit in Fundamentals of Transaction. Those have to make do for any other of these other ones to really be something you can accomplish. So I think that's an important part. You need to at least understand what you want in those areas and be able to see a pathway that you're embarking on to have those be satisfied before all of these other things open up. That doesn't mean you shouldn't inquire about them. It's just making sure you've got the right focus in the right place at the right time. But it doesn't take forever. I mean, we're talking seven years. If you do the right work and you're honest about it and you can confront the naivete you have about certain things that I certainly have in spades and I continue to have, John, by the way, you, unfortunately, you haven't given us any kind of solution for not having naivete any longer. So right. it just happens as you move into different environments and ecologies and whatnot. Now I've got a new naivete. I didn't even for it, right? Now we're like, where am I naive? <laughs> yeah. Let's go look. Yeah. You know? yeah, exactly. I just have a different set of tools is what I have, but I, I still have naivete. And so I think just starting there to be able to understand those things, because trying to aspire for getting a pilot's license, but not being able to really save for my retirement would be silly. It wouldn't make sense unless, of course, becoming a pilot was a, a going to be a career and I was clear that I was an investment I was going to make otherwise. So just being able to do those types of things, I think, is really important. The last thing I'd like to ask you about is, is career because you've had an amazing career. And as we teach career, for those that are new and, and maybe listening for the first time, when we talk about career, we talk about your identity, 
of value and help. So how other people relate to your value, how they relate to your help. A year ago, we began something called a career expedition, and Kirkland and I have observed you moving rather powerfully around the career expedition, especially as you moved into Seattle. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, first of all, what I would say is you and Kirkland, you always design the best thing that we're going to tackle at conference and for an entire year. So it's a theme of the year, and oftentimes there's an expedition involved. So I'm already on board with an expedition, given my love for adventures and whatnot. And so the career expedition was one where we sat down and did some work at annual member conference in January, which is always an excellent way to kick off our year. And we had to first assess what was my career looking like in these various areas? What would I want it to look like? And then what would, you know, you had to do some planning and some strategies and some tactics around that. And it was out of that that I started to notice I was still new to Seattle. We had just moved up here in the very end of 2016. And I wanted to become better known in the business community, and I knew there was plenty of one-on-one conversations and meetings I would have and whatnot, so I would want to make maximize and make the best of those. But I also wanted to start to build a bit of a brand, and so I'd done that through a couple of different things, but one of them was we had had an award, the Whibley Award, that's handed out by the, the Seattle Chamber of Commerce, which is a very strong Chamber of Commerce here, and it was for the uh, Female Leader of the Year. And so a number of my colleagues nominated me for the award and we had the meeting where we had the kind of the banquet, if you will, where it was unveiling of it. There's just these really incredible, powerful women that have been here for a long time in this community and any one of them was definitely deserving to win. When I read their list of accomplishments, I was like, oh, for sure she's going to win. Oh, for sure she's going to win. And so when I won, I was really, it wasn't so much that I was, I was surprised. It's just, I think I realized that there's something I provide that's of value to people. And what I was told there afterwards, the biggest reason why I won was because it was really clear how authentic my help was to mentoring other people in our business and other women. And it's not even just specific to women, but that was also an important part of it overall is bringing people up in general. And that's just, John, honestly, that's just a passion of mine. I would do that whether they were handing out awards or not, because I care about people thinking accurately, getting what they want in life and developing to be able to get themselves to that place. And I'm willing to be, I'm willing to have conversations and coach people in those ways to be able to do that. And it's just one of my delights of being a leader. And so to be given that award in a community that is well-established, right? It's very well-established. There's a lot of people who've been in this business community for a long time. It's responsible for a lot of ingenuity that's spread across our country. If you think about it, what all comes out of Seattle. And to be given that award, just it meant, and it does mean a whole lot. And it also, candidly, while it's flattering on the one hand, it also made me even more accountable for making sure that I'm giving that into this community as well. So it just gave me a greater sense of being responsible for how our community goes. Trisha Tyler, thank you for the good and valuable help you are to us, to women, to inspiring adventure. It's a pleasure to spend a little time with you today. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you so much. It is my pleasure to spend time with you all. And you've been such a huge part of my journey. And I just couldn't thank you and Kirkland and the rest of the team for all the support you've been to me over the years. My special thanks to our guest, Trisha Tatter. In our show notes, you'll find links to connect with her and all the links to websites, books, or downloads mentioned in this podcast. 
The Influence Ecology podcast is produced by Influence Ecology LLC in Ventura, California. This episode was recorded July 15th, 2019, and was produced by Tyson Crandall and me, John Patterson. You can find a transcript for this and other episodes at influenceecology.com forward slash podcast. This episode is made possible through the assistance of the Influence Ecology faculty, staff, mentors, and students around the world. Co-founder Kirk and Tibbles and our colleagues comprise an international collective of professionals who are active in the development of the philosophy of transactionalism and the discipline of transactional competence. Kirkland is considered a leading philosopher and authority in the field and has authored more than 500 papers on the subject, study, and discipline. This episode includes contributions by Carol Gregory. The podcast theme is by Chris Standring entitled Fast Train to Everywhere. You can subscribe to the Influence Ecology podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, or via email at podcast at influenceecology.com. If you haven't yet offered a rating or review, I ask that you take a moment, go to iTunes or your podcast app, and let us know what you think. This helps us more than you know. Thank you.